With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. iHeart Radio and KXNO. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon. Welcome back. Hour number two, Miller and Condon with you until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Another keyword coming up. I want to say, Trent, I don't want to say, I believe that this is the the final week of this promotion. Oh, is it? I think so. Get in there. Let's get a winner. Let's get a winner, indeed. We'll try to do so. we got another opportunity to make you a winner coming up here in about 20 minutes or thereabouts. Scott Dockerman in about 25. Right now, Cody Goodwin covers high school football, high school sports, amongst other things, at the Des Moines Register. He joins us. Cody, Trent, and Ken, week number one is in the rearview mirror. On we push to week two. How are you, Cody? Fantastic, especially after watching a bunch of football last Friday and catching some highlights on Saturday. How much fun was that, guys? Just does the soul good, doesn't it, just <laughs> to get a little bit normalcy in your life. Well, you were at Valley and Roosevelt. We'll get to uh, uh, that one in a second as we're going to go around uh, You know what you saw in your notebook that you published, etc. Uh, where I want to start with you is we know where the Des Moines Public Schools sit. They uh, right now, as it stands, unless you can fill us in any news, this will be their final week before the governor says, uh-uh, no more. If you're not in school, uh, you're not going to play uh, no extracurricular activities, which obviously football is one of them. Likewise, over in Iowa City, they're facing that same, uh, I guess, uh, same threats uh, of no more football after this week. Where do things stand, Cody? Uh, and can this be resolved in time for a week three um, I mean, you pretty much nailed it, and I, I think there may still be some questions about how, um, you know, the Department of Education can enforce some of this. Um, you know, I think there's, I, there's, I think it's September 3rd, Iowa City is um, taking the governor to, I think it's going to end up going to a legal battle, which is where DMPS is headed as well, um, just, you know, and kind of how, you know, how, how are they going to enforce it? Can they enforce it? Um, you know, because these school districts want liberty to be able to decide what they do with their students, whether or not that's everybody in the building, 50 percent hybrid model or 100 percent online. Right. Um, and so, I, you know, that might call into question how the Department of Education can enforce certain things. Um, and so I think, you know, the question of sports, I think, is really up in the air, although I will say in, in Iowa City, they got approved for the waiver to start 100 percent online if they wanted to. And mm-hmm. that's um, how they voted on Saturday. So it does sound like um, at least for, you know, weeks three and four, um, we may not see any of the Iowa City schools, that city, West, and Liberty, because um, Regina's parochial. They're totally separate from there. Um, those three schools may not play football in weeks three and four, at least. Mm. That's how I'm reading it, and that's what our guy out in Iowa City, Dargan Souther, that's how he's interpreting it as well. So as it stands for DMPS, though, I'm not 100% sure, but at, as it stands right now, the interpretation is that this could potentially be their last week. So... 
um, definitely something we're going to have to monitor here over the next few weeks. Uh, back to high school in just a second. A little breaking news. Uh, Jamie Pollard, just uh, there's been a release put out. Uh, 25,000 fans at Jack Trice for week number one, subject to change going forward. So week number one, there'll be 25,000 fans at Jack Trice. Go ahead, Trent. You know, uh, Cody, we wait the fate of what's going to happen here after week two, week two, but you got to see a Roosevelt team that gave number one mm-hmm. Valley everything they could handle on Friday night. Take us into that one. Uh, talk before the season about their sophomore quarterback and the anticipation for him. He is uh, an exciting athlete, but what did Roosevelt do to uh, confuse the Valley team? A lot of people expected to just hit the ground running, and that certainly wasn't the case for a while on Friday night. No, this uh, this Roosevelt team, they're scary, man. They are. I said that they're going to contend, and they're probably going to beat some teams this year. They, I, I think they're that good. What they were really doing, and, and there's there's multiple parts to this trend, as you and I talked on Friday night after the games, um, just because I was curious about the Ankeny game. But um, you know, I, people, I think there's a lot of anticipation around Valley, right? Like we put them at number one. They have the quarterback. They've got the running back. They've got playmakers on the outside. Um, people tend to forget that they lost every single starter from last year's team. 22 starters, everybody on offense, everybody on defense gone. And so I, in a team game like football where there's so many complexities on every single play, it takes a minute to mesh a little bit. And so then you combine that with the fact that Roosevelt brought back a handful of starters and a handful of experienced players on defense, and they play such a unique style of defense in that they send some level of pressure every single play. Um, when you, you know, when you line up and you send that kind of pressure against a team that hasn't started together at all outside of practice, um, that's, that's going to rattle them a little bit. Um, so it took a little while for Valley's offense to get rolling. I want to say they only had eight total yards of offense in the first quarter. Um, but man, I tell you what, Valley, they're good, man. We have a number one for a reason. They've got a bunch of playmakers everywhere. That quarterback, Jake Rubley has a really nice arm. Jaden Williams, he was bottled up quite a bit and took a lot of the attention of Roosevelt's defense in the first quarter. Once he was able to get going north and south, uh, once Rubley connected on a couple of deep throws, and I'll tell you what, that arm is beautiful. Mm. That, that guy can sling it. Um, you know, once they were able to kind of settle in and, and figure some things out, Valley, that, you know, they were able to slap 37 points over the last three quarters on Roosevelt's defense. Um, so, you know, I, it was a matter of Valley just kind of getting comfortable and, and give Roosevelt credit. I mean, it was 26-20 going into the fourth quarter, I'm pretty sure, at least late in the third. So, I mean, it, it took a little while for Valley to really pull away and grab control of the game. But but once they did, they looked like the number one team in the state for sure. Well, they weren't alone in uh, getting off to a slow start because in Indianola, Indianola and Dowling, I guess, they had a real tussle. Uh, Indianola was giving them a game for for a while. Indianola's got a Blake at quarterback. I wonder if that's, I'm guessing, a relation to Casey or family member. Um, but So Dowling struggled a little bit too. What do we make of that? I almost almost the same situation, not maybe 100% the same situation as Valley, but they lost a lot of starters from last year. I mean, this is, you know, how long have we been talking about during Dowling's run of success, seven straight state titles, where we kind of knew who the running back was coming in, where we mm. knew the playmakers or we knew who the quarterback was going to be. There's a handful of question marks here on this Dowling team that maybe some got answered in the first week, but others are going to get answered over the next two, three, four weeks probably. You know, Zach Schwager came in. He stepped up and did a really nice job of running back, running for 100 yards. Um, Louis Brooks um, is going to be their playmaker on the outside. We know he's quick and he's got really good hands. Um, but, you know, they kind of platooned at quarterback for a little bit. Um, you know, and that when it came, when push came to shove, I thought the defense actually played really, really well. They only held Billy Indianola to like 150 total yards of offense and, and outside of a couple of big plays, which ultimately led to points for the Indians, 
Dowling's defense locked them down for the most part. So, I mean, they play a really disciplined style of defense. Um, but again, they're replacing a lot of people. So you expect, you know, week one to maybe be a little bit slower. Um, but yeah, I thought over the course of the game, they kind of, they, they stepped up and, you know, did what Dowling did and that's play that, you know, they play sound fundamental football. So I, I'm not terribly worried about either of their performance in week one because it is week one. It is an abnormal year and they didn't get the normal off season that they normally would have gotten in addition to replacing a bunch of starters. So not, not terribly worried after one week. And you know, when that calendar flips into late October, November, uh, Dowling Catholic and that coaching staff always has that team playing at a high level. A drop down to Class 3A for Hoover. They open up with a big victory against North. Coach Tyrone Taylor, we had an opportunity to talk with him this summer. Just a great guy, certainly rooting for and has that Dowling background along with it here. What do you think the Huskies are going to look like now playing a 3A schedule when we get into district play? I'm really curious to see how they're going to look because I tell you what, they looked really good against Des Moines North. And so that's, you know, that's kind of the caveat there is that, you know, I think this was the eighth straight win over Des Moines North for Hoover. Um, so it's, it's going to be an interesting end of the schedule for them. I say end of the schedule. I mean, it really kind of starts next week against, or it's not next week. They don't have a week two game, but mm-hmm. assuming DMPS can hopefully keep playing games this season, they've got winter set. Um, which is always a tough team. Dallas Center Grimes is after that. I think really highly of them in Class 3A. And then ADM Perry, and they finish up with Norwalk at the end of the regular season. So, um, hey, really good start. But just like uh, just like Roosevelt top start last season, um, let's see how they follow up their debut performance under Tyrone Taylor. Let's see how, you know, what do they do in their next game? Um, the unique part about Hoover is that they, they don't have a Week 2 game. So, did we see them play their last game this oh, season? I don't know. I mm. really hope we didn't because it looked like they were fun to watch on Friday. Mm. Can, can you imagine? That would oh, just man. be brutal. Yeah. Uh, let, let's get into the transfer situation, uh, Cody. Cody Goodwin, Des Moines Register, is our guest. There were a couple of a couple of kids ruled ineligible, uh, all seemingly at the last minute. I mean, sometime in the afternoon, hours before the game anyway. Bruce, of course, uh, at Ankeny. Apparently there was a lineman at Southeast Polk who found himself in similar uh, similar situation. What are the, I guess, uh, uh, pathways forward for those players? Sure, they can appeal. Likelihood of winning their appeal. And were you surprised it came as late as it did, Cody? A little surprised, yeah. Because uh, it seemed like all of these kids had followed the rules, or at least based on what we were told, um, it seemed like they had followed the rules. I mean, Arlen Bruce, the fourth at Ankeny, um, you know, he's going to play some running back and receiver for them. He's an Iowa commit. Um, alongside Brody Brecht, who's the receiver, who's star receiver at Ankeny. I mean, it seemed like he followed all the rules. Him and his mom are there in the district. They made the full move. Um, you know, they enrolled at Ankeny. Like, everything seemed to work out, you know, and it was pointing toward a week one start. And then the association said no on Friday morning. Same thing with Sean O'Hara, who um, originally an offensive lineman from Illinois, now at Southeast Polk. Um, I, I'm kind of curious a little bit about you know how these decisions came down. I know Arlen Bruce was able to talk to our Matthew Bain a little bit about what he heard from the association. I don't know that we got as much from Sean O'Hara about why you know why he couldn't play. Um, you know, I the next, I the next, I I mean, really, I mean, they got to kind of t- just talk with the association. I know Arlen Bruce is you know they're going to hire an attorney to appeal and. Um, you know, it sounds like they checked all the boxes or maybe there was a misinterpretation somewhere down the line. It sounds like that was the same situation with Sean O'Hara, at least based on what we know. Um, I, I was a little surprised not to see them play because it seemed like every other um, transfer that has come in was able to get on the field just fine on Friday night. So why those two specifically? I mean, I don't know if that was an interpretation, a misinterpretation of the rules or maybe they just didn't check all the boxes that they thought they did. 
I really hope we see them week two because, you know, it's already a shortened season, so you miss one week, you've only got six regular season games left, and then um, we know in 4A there's fewer teams, only 40 teams. So, you know, the postseason – um, it's going to be shorter than some of these other classes or at least look a little bit different. So I, every game is valuable. So the fact that these guys aren't on the field, I mean, it sucks for them because they came here to play, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, we thought they followed all the rules. So I, it, it's still a little murky as to maybe why they didn't get to play, but here's hoping that we do see them on the field this coming Friday week too. Uh, what is, what, is there a rule in place, you know, Cody, for say one of them comes in, they're, they're here for the fall, they take their exam prior to Christmas, and then prior to the next semester they go back to their, you know, where they're from originally uh, to finish out their school year there. Uh, is there a rule in place that would prevent them? I mean, it's hard to prevent people from moving. This is the United States, after all, Miller. <laughs> but you get my point. You know, they're, they're clearly they're coming here to play football and to play sports. We get that part. Also understand that it's a pandemic. But should they be required in order to, you know, to um, to participate to be here the entire year? I have no idea how you enforce that, but it just seems like it doesn't pass the smell test. If they come in, play football, and then skedaddle, skedaddle back in Rubley's case to Colorado, to Bruce's case to Kansas City or that area, um, is there any rules along those lines? Not that I'm aware of, although that would make it look really fishy. I do know that when it comes to in-state transfers and open enrollments and stuff like that, I know athletic directors and activity directors, um, you know, they can check the trans. There's a, a checklist on, you know, as kids transfer and switch schools, you know, is this for athletics? And if they check that box, um, you know, I think there's a couple other hurdles that the kids would have to clear in order to gain eligibility, whether that's sitting for 90 days, whether that's, um, you know, trying to make sure that they do a few, a few other things to make sure that they don't have to sit. And so I, I wonder if that's the same for out of state. I mean, the, the other thing too, and I, and I get what you're saying, but I mean, a handful of these kids, you know, may come in and play in the fall, graduate in December and then yep. go, you know, enroll right. early at their colleges. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, if they do go back home or if they do go to college, I mean, it sounds like Arlen Bruce's family is eventually all going to move to Ankeny because he's going to be at Iowa, which is only about 90 minutes away. Um, you know, it sounds like Rubley's going to head to K-State after he graduates in December, or at least I, I thought that that was the loose plan. I'm not sure if that's still the plan. Um, you know, I, how many other kids are going to leave early so that they can enroll early, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, do you treat those situations the same? Um, I, really interesting point you made there, and I'm not exactly sure how you approach it, but, I, you know, if you, if you clear the kids who are going to leave for college early, I, you know, why wouldn't you clear the kids that might go back or, or do the – go back or I, I'm not exactly sure how that works it's a really good question with uh, a lot of complicated answers Cody uh, one more for you Cody Goodwin joining us from the Des Moines Register you work on the high school beat you also do a ton in the wrestling realm we've heard a lot of conversation about what college basketball possibly could look like this uh, fall and into the winter we haven't heard a whole lot on the wrestling front what can you tell us collegiate wrestling what you're hearing what you anticipate will happen when we get to that point yeah, I'm hearing very similar things to what college basketball might unfold as, um, but uh, perhaps even a shorter season. Um, and this is all maybe subject to change as we find out more information. And, um, you know, if, if basketball starts earlier and sooner, I mean, it sounds like the dates that they're throwing out there now might be late November, Thanksgiving-ish when it comes to college basketball. You know, maybe wrestling bumps up. But everything I'm hearing right now points to a January 1 start. Um, you know, it sounds like they're going to do similar to what football and basketball are doing and only compete against their conference opponents. Um, you know, we may not see as many open tournaments as we're used to seeing this season. And, and everything really over the course of the shortened season, what looks like it's going to be, 
is going to be in an effort to protect the NCAA championships because I know that the coaches, they're already really, really upset that they had to lose last year's NCAA championships. They don't want to lose the 2021 NCAA championships, which are already set March 18th through the 20th in St. Louis. Um, so that's what I'm hearing right now. A January 1 start, a shortened season, really nothing but duels until your conference tournaments. And then even when you get to the NCAA championships, it might be a smaller tournament than what we're used to. We're used to seeing 330 wrestlers. Um, that's 33 wrestlers per the 10 weight classes. Um, we may not see that many. Um, there's a lot of other options like that on the table. Um, a lot of discussion about how they want to do the duels during the season, whether that means, you know, if you, you, you know, maybe you do two or three or four duels in a single weekend. Um, so you can kind of bring, you know, two or three or four teams to one college town and one city and kind of bubble them for the weekend as long as they're healthy. Um, you know, that's a potential idea on the table. Lots of ideas like that about how they're going to approach the season. But um, everything I'm seeing right now and hearing right now points to a January 1 start and a shortened season, hopefully ending with the NCAA championships in March. Mm-hmm. Did Rubley's family move with him? Do you know, Cody? As far as I know, yes. Um, that they, they had been considering a move to Iowa potentially because he's got family that's originally from Davenport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they're, they're familiar to the state of Iowa. Um, and it sounds like uh, they were considering a potential move to Iowa even before Colorado decided not to play football this fall. And so combine everything together, it was pretty easy for them to pull the trigger. And now I believe he's in West Des Moines. Cody, great stuff. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Cody Goodwin, Des Moines Register, covers high school sports and, of course, wrestling on a collegiate level. Is a terrific guest. Uh, we appreciate him coming on yes. and uh, giving us the lay. So, so you're going to see Valley Dowling this week. Mm-hmm. You've seen Ankeny, the Hawks, and the Jags. You came away really impressed with with uh, with the Hawks. Yeah. C- can can they? Yes. Elbow their way into this yeah. Dowling Valley party. Yes, they can. They, they are talented enough. The question I had, I think we talked last week. Want to see the offensive line? They had a couple of pieces there. I thought they played really well against a pretty good stout front from Ankeny Centennial. Now, Centennial's young. Played a lot more sophomores than you usually see a Pizzetti coach team do. Uh, and this is not going to be Ankeny Centennial that we've grown to know over the last seven years. I, I think they're going to mm-hmm. be down a bit this season. But Ankeny, they have all the pieces. They have the depth. Remember when the split first happened? And, and it felt like the numbers, Centennial had a lot more kids That's at the no varsity question. level yep. than Ankeny High did. That is tip back the other way. They got plenty of kids. They have the depth to do it defensively. I think they have the pieces there. Caleb Rathje, we, we talked wrestling there with Cody there at the end, and he's uh, one of the top wrestlers in the country. Now, if he wasn't a wrestler, he'd probably be a safety that weighed an extra 30, 40 pounds more. He's not a big guy, but I think Cody called him one time the honey badger. I mean, he's that little guy that's just yep. in the middle of everything. They have pieces defensively. They have as dynamic of an offense as you're going to find. I think Ankeny's in that conversation, and after what we saw week one, you hate to overreact, but that's what we do. We overreact. Right. I'd put Ankeny right there with Valley ahead of Dowling to bring home the title this year. Interesting, because yeah, Dowling, uh, Coach Kluwer had Indianola ready yeah. to play them on Friday night. Uh, good for Roosevelt giving Valley a test. Good for Indianola giving Dowling a test. We'll come back uh, with uh, Scott Dockerman, but right now KXNO and iHeart would love to help you pay your bills. Uh, text the keyword love to 200-200 right now. It's your chance to win $1,000. Love to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Miller and Condon till noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and .net.
wasn't Celine Dion. No, no, not at all. Were you a Motley Crue fan back in the 80s? I was not. No? No. Never got into the uh, the 80s rock? I didn't. Like Scott Dockerman? You know he's just rocking his head right now. Oh, I know he is. One of the uh, prerequisites to have Doc every week. Well, we uh, come on, but you got to play the right bump music. Exactly. Uh, Doc joins us. Scott Trenton, Ken, thanks for coming on, Doc. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing great since uh, here's the Motley Crew. So uh, nice. don't have the bullet like I did back in 87 and 88. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yes, I, I'm thankful for what you just played. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm thankful that, uh, to the best of my knowledge, there's nobody has pictures of mine because I had a dinger. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was brutal. Anyways, let's uh, let's get to the here and now, Scott Dockerman, and that is college football, at least in some areas of the country. Let's start with what we heard last Friday, seemingly in the middle of our show. I think Bruce Feldman uh, was all over the situation, amongst others, that there was apparently. Uh, at the time, uh, on Friday morning, the Big Ten coaches were meeting via teleconference, and one of the things that they were discussing was starting the Big Ten season on Thanksgiving weekend. Um, did that call happen, Doc? Was was that legitimate? Did that really happen? And, and how serious was the discussion of Thanksgiving? Do we still have Doc? I don't believe we do. We'll get him back. Indeed, we will. Uh, Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. We'll try to hook up with him again. Yeah, I heard something right in the middle of that. It sounded like it's something shot crap, so uh, we'll get Doc back. Yeah, look, at the. Um, it was Friday just before we had Tom Cakert on. So in the middle of the middle of our show at some point that the um, rumor was floating out there that the Big Ten is going to start on Thanksgiving weekend, dot, dot, dot. I don't know if that was legitimate or not. I have no idea whether the Big Ten coaches were actually meeting or not, but it certainly got a lot of people talking and crossing their fingers. And before they hit the uh, hay on Friday night, I'm assuming, uh, getting down on their hands and knees and hoping that that was indeed a true story. Doc, I don't know if you heard my question or not. I'll I'll ask it again real quick. Uh, Bruce Feldman at The Athletic amongst others, that floated out there that the Big Ten coaches were on a teleconference on Friday. They were discussing, amongst other things, trying to start the season on Thanksgiving weekend. Did the call take place, and how serious of a topic was that from what you've been able to find out? Place, And I'm not sure every coach was involved in that, but uh, it did. Uh, there have been all kinds of discussions, and I, I do know that the leading area right now is still January. Uh, that's that's going to be the case, and uh, so I think we'll see. Um, you know, J- January's probably the route that it's going to go. But I think it is fascinating, though, that that there was some, at least some discussion for Thanksgiving because if you're going to say Thanksgiving, then there's really no reason not to do Halloween right. or earlier, and uh, because you, you feel for the teams, not only that, I mean, for all these reasons, but. If you're Ohio State, and I think Ohio State has a legitimate chance at winning the national title, mm-hmm. uh, to, to get three or four games in and then the playoff pairings go, and you're not one of those teams, that would just be cruel and unusual. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know if, that, if that's realistic. I don't know if that's something that they want to leak out there to apply public pressure to the presidents to maybe take a revote and uh, try to get the season you know, pushed into October. But either way, it's it's this whole situation is very fascinating. Let's say that happens, and it does play out that way, and they get started Halloween weekend, whatever it is. Obviously, they wouldn't be able to get in the number of games that the ACC, SEC, Big 12 would be getting in. Would you anticipate that 
the college football playoff committee would hit pause and say, hey, if you get everything in here by middle of December, you get an eight-game schedule in, we'll wait. And if you do have an undefeated Ohio State, you do have uh, an 8-1 and one Buckeye team, Penn State, whatever it may be, that's a Big Ten champion, we'll wait and give you an opportunity to get in the college football playoff. Is that plausible? I don't know if they'll wait for them, but I think what they'll do is they'll take their, uh, you know, whatever ends up happening. And, and, you know, if it's seven games, if it's six games, because, you know, it's hard to say whether or not we'll get in a full 10 in, in all those other leagues anyway. I mean, there might be some pushback. There might be some postponements some cancellations. So, you know, we don't really know what's, what's going to happen uh, throughout the course of the season. But, you know, if, if the Buckeyes, get, let's say they go seven games, um, you know, maybe six divisional and one crossover, and then there's a Big Ten championship and they win and they're undefeated, they're going to be in the Final Four. I mean, you know, it, it's an eye test matters more so than the actual number of games played uh, when it comes to this. And with, with only four Power Five conferences, you can't say that a, say, a 7-0 and or 8-0 and Buckeyes team uh, should should not get in, but a uh, 9-2 and Georgia team should or something like that. So, yeah, if, if if somebody goes undefeated in the Big Ten, I think they're in the Final Four. Doc, so let's let's uh, move to January. What seems more, I want to be optimistic, but at the same time, I think we should be realistic because it doesn't sound like uh, that it's going to happen. So, so we do start in January, and then we play January and February. Would the Big Ten decide their championship by the uh, winner of the East and the winner of the West in the normal fashion, and then taking it one step forward, would that winner then take on the winner of the Pac-12 if they're able to pull off their season and do so in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl? It's being speculated. Uh, that's optimistic on my part. Is it realistic? <laughs> I think anything is realistic. I think everything is speculative at this point. I mean, you know, we're we're, we're talking about the difference between Thanksgiving, Halloween, and uh, you know, New Year's Day is kickoff. Uh, you know, maybe in full year feels like Groundhog Day for that matter, but I, I think if they could sync up their schedules and do something like that, that'd be terrific. If the big Pac-12 and the Big Ten can can decide to play um, in January. I mean, I, I want them to play now, but you know, if that's the way it works out that they play in January and February and say in early March, they have a game in Pasadena, fantastic. You know, I don't know, maybe they have a, a cross-conference challenge, you know, where maybe the eight best teams from each league play head-to-head or something like that. I don't know. But but uh, really, if you're looking ahead and you're trying to gather anything positive for the situation, um, the Big Ten will own the, the landscape, especially in February uh, when it comes to TV ratings. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they can play pretty much Saturday afternoons and Sunday afternoons in, in February and right around the Super Bowl, shoot. They're going to probably get better ratings than they did in the fall, but you know. But that said, I don't. Nobody wants that. I don't want that. So I think this is kind of a, uh, you know, we're stretching here on some things. Have you heard anything? I know you've uh, had a lot of conversations in the past with TV people. Anything where ESPN, Fox, and the like, where they are in terms of monetarily, what say an eight game schedule would look like, even played in January and February, what that would be for the Big Ten, and how excited they'd be just to get these games on in any form and fashion? Well, the Big Ten wants to play football, and then everybody wants them to play football. So if they could play in January and February on national television, um, you know, I think the TV networks would love it. It would make a lot of money for them. And then, 
you know, as far as players go, you know, there's going to be some more players opting out, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But um, but getting a season in is, is paramount, and and right now, you know, being excited just to simply play, I think, is, is crucial. Uh, speaking of excited, Doc, wouldn't, don't they have to? I mean, they're going to eventually, but wouldn't we, as as, as um, media uh, for the Big Ten fan bases throughout the Big Ten footprint? I know that they got criticized for putting out that schedule and then taking it away days later. But don't they have to give them something to chew on, something tangible to have in their hands? To you know, a, a schedule of some sort. You know, come up with a date. Here's what we're talking. Here's what we're thinking. It's the first weekend in January. It's the it's the week between the conference playoffs and the NFL and the Super Bowl. That's when we're going to start. Don't they have to come up with a plan and? Just throw a nugget, throw throw the fans around the footprint a bone of some kind sooner rather than later. Well, sure. You know, I think we all want that kind of certainty, and and I think that's going to be a real problem as we go forward. Is you know, you, you look forward to certain things and certain dates, and to have that kind of uncertainty is going to be a challenge for everyone. But I think what we're looking at with uh, with this is that they don't know. I mean, if, if there's that committee and it's chaired by Barry Alvarez trying to put a schedule together, um, and if it is, if it's in November, you know, they, they want to look at every option. And the TV networks are also going to be a part of this because they're the, they're the reason why they're going to do this to begin with. Um, so, you know, and who knows? Maybe they'll, you know, by floating out that trial balloon for Thanksgiving tells me some of the coaches want to want everybody to start thinking well maybe we could push it a little earlier maybe a little earlier and then get it into the normal season um and then and worry you know maybe get in eight games so i I don't think right now they know and and i think the not knowing is a hard thing but then again if they were to announce a january schedule now and let's say nebraska wins their lawsuit (laughs) they gotta Mm -hmm. redo the schedule they'll be the fourth different schedule (laughs) for the fall so i don't know It's, it's all crazy the last schedule had Iowa-Maryland coming up this Saturday. We know we will not see that game happening at Kinnick Stadium. A week later, Iowa State will welcome in the Raging Cajuns from Louisiana. 25,000 people are going to be there. Will Scott Docterman be amongst uh, that group making his way up to the press box? That's the plan right now, yeah, I, yeah. I think so. And and that should be a pretty good game. And, yeah, uh, you know, I can tell you, I can tell you this, though. If that happens... Um, Mm. And uh, there's, you know, zero fans, but there's the game still happens. Iowa fans are going to be through the roof. Yep. Uh, this, this will be a very difficult day. It'd be more difficult than getting beat thirty-eight to nothing by the Cyclones. Yep, because it's just not playing is worse than losing. So I think this that could be a very detrimental day to Iowa fans' mental health. Uh, if, if the Cyclones kick off in that game. Yeah, that's salt in the wound, Doc. No doubt about. It. So you mentioned the Nebraska, uh, the lawsuit going forward. Um, and I know that they hope over in Nebraska, reading Sipple and reading some of the other writers over there, um, not the writers, they're just putting what they've, what they're told that the, the hope is that there will be other schools that, uh, that join the lawsuit or file their own lawsuit, Doc. What's, what's the likelihood that it, um, that it changes anything? I mean, I know you're not a lawyer or judge, uh, but from what you've heard, what's, what's the chances of this prevailing, uh, even in, uh, you know, even just on some of the things that they're asking for? I think what you'll see is uh, the Big Ten response probably as soon as today to the lawsuit and releasing some of that public information. 
Um, and then after that, you're, you know, I imagine it's probably going to go away because if they're not going to reverse course on this season, and that's really the ultimate goal. Let's not kid ourselves. The, the goal, yeah, we want to, everybody wants to know who voted what and how, but they also want to see, uh, you know, they want to see this, this back on, on the field. And if they are not going to be interested in releasing that, I'm sure the Big Ten, in response to this, uh, they will release some of that information. I think we'll probably get a vote total at some point as well. One last thing for you, Doc. You've uh, penned your latest article at The Athletic on Iowa basketball. So, uh, Davison, take us in a little bit as you went through the state of the program. We know the preseason buzz certainly is there as we await the hope that there'll be a college basketball season. But as you're going through, you know this team incredibly well. What did you unearth? Boy, I mean, they have more depth and individual skill sets than maybe Iowa's had, certainly in the last 20 years. Maybe the 06 team had something similar. But when you look and you see uh, Luca Garza, but then you look at the way Connor McCaffrey played uh, alongside of him, uh, leading the country in assisted turnover ratio. When you have a late-game shooter and killer in uh, Jordan Bohannon, uh, you know, the, the Big Ten's leading free-throw shooter in Joe Wieskamp, the Big Ten's leading three-point shooter in, in C.J. Frederick. And you're looking at this team across the board, and you're going, you know, they've got somebody for every little aspect of this game. Uh, you know, Joe Tucson, on-ball defender. Some of the guys that they've brought in, you think that they can match up and play the wings. You know, I would say that about the Murray twins. Don't worry about scoring. Somebody else will score. You take it if it's there, but for the most part, defend that perimeter. They've got a piece for every single part of the puzzle. This is, to me, just based off of everything I gathered, this is the legacy season for Fran McCaffrey. Mm. This is the, if, if they can complete it, if it goes off unhitched, this is the season that we will discuss 20 years from now, 40 years from now, like we did with Lou Dolson over the weekend. This is the season that everybody will go point to and say they either were great and they did exactly what they're supposed to do. They go to the Final Four or they win the Big Ten or go to the Sweet 16 or this was a real tough year because the, the hopes were so high. And so that's kind of what I've gathered in, in looking into this uh, this program. Well, this is somewhat breaking news. Last Wednesday, apparently, the NCAA filed for the trademark Battle in the Bubble, and they're going to sell <laughs> uh, Battle in the Bubble branded clothing uh, that goes along with that trademark that they hope that they're going to be awarded. We shall see. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Doc, thank you. Appreciate it. We will uh, talk to you next week. Thanks, Scott Dockerman. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. He'll be in Jack Trice, one of 25,000 fans. So, uh, battle in the bubble, huh? Trademark? Battle in the bubble is the trademark that they filed for. The NCAA. I'm trying to envision how this looks. Is it one bubble? Is it multiple bubbles and then you come back for another bubble for the Sweet 16? Multiple bubbles worked in the NHL. Did. Couple of bubbles. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're pros. They are pros. And they're paid. Probably, you would think, and I'm just spitballing here, if there was ever an expansion of the NCAA tournament, this would be the year. Bump it up to 128. See, I think it's going to go the other way. Really? I do. You still have automatic bids. Do you? I know that that's been on the table that this year that they go away. This year. See, you're going to have 32. The first I saw, this was a week, maybe two weeks ago, was 32. 32. Right. So you're, are you still going to give the share to the SWAC 
to the MEAC, great to the Conference USA, totally, the conferences that absolutely need this money. I want to say yes, the but Missouri I, Valley. That wasn't part of the piece that I read. Okay. So you're going down. You're going the other way. You're well, just, I'm not. I'm just regurgitating what I read. And it's not going to be over three weeks like no. the NCAA tournament. Especially it's, if it's 32 teams. You're going to tighten it up. Mm-hmm. Maybe a day off in between. And you're going to be able to play this thing in a week? Ten days? Something along those lines? 32-16-8. Come back with your final four on the next weekend? So you're looking at something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I want more basketball. Well, I do too. Give me 128. <laughs> Drake gets in. Good. Drake Duke, first round, yes, in. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Uh, we'll come back, finish things up. Miller and Condon till noon. Battle in the bubble. NCAA has filed for that trademark. Uh, it's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and their families. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Final couple of minutes, Miller and Condon. Big night of baseball locally for your twins, White Sox twins. Five straight losses for the Twinkies. Meanwhile, the White Sox are just hitting the crap out of the baseball. That's unbelievable. Loaded. Oh, I watched the Royals and the White Sox a lot yesterday. I (laughs) I turned on your twins just when Scope wrapped one and went on the foul pole out in left field. Old friend, Jonathan Scope. Yeah. uh, I mean, Bremer thought it was, I think he thought it was foul in the beginning. Uh, Anyways, uh, that that division is going to be a (laughs) dogfight right till the bed. Even with the Indians. Yeah, giving away. Parts. Well, they got so many guys, though. Trent is talking about all the uh, this entire last couple of months. So deep pitching wise, uh, we didn't mention John Thompson's passing this oh, morning. Yeah. Just a, I mean, just literally larger than life he was. I mean, we remember the towel, the championships, Allen Iverson. Uh, what Allen Iverson says, what John Thompson meant to him. I mean, he had some teams. You know what else John Thompson was good at? He was good on the radio. Yes, he was. Uh, Westwood won. Yeah, he was really good uh, doing broadcasts. Of, Even uh, Kevin Kugler. It was Kugler, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, doing games on Westwood one. So uh, this the story Yahoo Sports that uh, reminded me this morning. This was written a few years ago. But back in the 80s, the most notorious drug dealer uh, in the D.C. area was, I mean, and he was moving, I think the story was $300 million a year in illegal drugs. John Thompson called this dealer in and told him to stay away from my, this is not, this is not a nice guy. Yes. Right? Stay away from my guys. And he did. That's power. That's power. That's respect. Um, and uh, John Thompson certainly had that. And Allen Iverson, if you go back and I mean, it's been all over Twitter. His induction into a Hall of Fame had, had to have been just what Thompson meant to his life, not only mm-hmm. to his basketball career. Uh, first African American to win a uh, to coach a national championship team. John Thompson was, uh, and uh, passed away uh, earlier this morning. Yeah, think of him. Think of those biggies battles. Yes, Big Monday, the towel. Yes, uh, draped over the shoulder uh-huh. and. Him and Who young... else had the towel? Well, Tarkane. Tarkane, but he's the he'd chew it. He'd on chew on the yes, towel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tark the shark, and uh, just thinking those Big East games. That's a huge part yeah. of my college basketball mm-hmm. fandom. Came with that. Trent, those were such great. I mean, those schools at the time were just Providence, oh, and then St. John's. I love St. John's. I, I love first Chris Mullen. He, he was oh. my guy when I was first watching basketball. And their resurgence, or it looked like going to be a resurgence with mm-hmm. Felipe Lopez coming in. I had the shorts. And I ever tell you, I bought a, a pair of, they, uh, they comes out, this company's coming out with vintage shorts. 
and they had the St. John's pairs for the mid nineties. And I bought a pair of those and my wife said, what are those hideous things you're wearing? <laughs> That's a long story. Those things are absolute beauties, but fandom. And it's funny how it comes, but John Thompson, he was the guy I always rooted against though. Really? Why? Just big, imposing. Yeah, he was. I, he had Alan a big, I, imposing guy in the middle of yeah. most, most teams he was, he coached too. And, and watching those teams, they just, they seemed like such bullies because yeah. They had Patrick Ewing into Alonzo, into Dikembe Mutombo, and they were just built differently than Mm -hmm. everybody else. I love watching Allen Iverson. I love watching Victor Page after him. Those teams were incredible to watch, but they were just too tough. Too tough. It it felt like they were the tough guy on the street. I rooted against them. They certainly were. All right, so you've got your twins tonight. Uh, Giolito pitches for the White Sox. Keuchel tomorrow. That's not a good uh, way to get a, off a losing streak. No, it's not, Trent. And uh, the White Sox are playing incredibly well. Cubs are off today. Mm-hmm. The crazy stat, right? Yesterday, for the first time in the history of baseball, the entire starting outfield hit multiple home runs in the same game. When I heard that, I heard it last night. You would have night. thought that would have happened, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're talking 150 years mm-hmm. of baseball. Three starting outfielders. Mm-hmm. It's not that crazy. Hap, Schwarber, and Hayward all hit two home runs yesterday. Where would the Cubs be without Ian Hap? Ooh, I'll say. They're going to be without Tyler Chatwood. And we asked that question at the beginning of the season as well. He left. He blew his elbow. I think it's over for Albert Almora. I mm-hmm. just You can't put this guy in the game. Uh, he brings absolutely nothing offensively. Uh, but the Cubs, look, they they had to take care of the Reds. I thought the Reds were feeling pretty good about themselves after sweeping the Brewers. Had a chance, beat them on Friday night, and uh, wasn't good enough for Cincinnati. So the Cubs maintain their place in what I think is the weakest division in baseball. I think that's fair to say. I think it's fair to say. Not top-heavy by any No, means. that's for sure. All right, Murph and Andy coming up at 2. The Fanatics will slide on in here at 4. Ross Peterson back today. Good to have Petey yes. back. Uh, Petey and uh, Chris will be together today at 4 o'clock. Morning Rush tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. We're Miller and Condon. We take over 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.